0: Typically what we do, and we'll kind of explain why this morning, it's probably a good morning to be here, we, we do expository Bible preaching. That's what we love to do. We just finished this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to, we'll get back to that because that's what God's called us to do. But today and over the next uh, four or five weeks, we're going to step away from that because we're kind of at what I believe is a seminal moment as a church. Uh, today we've entitled this kind of our state of the church address. Uh, some things that, you know, I, in fact it's one of the things I've struggled with. So uh, personally, um, as, and with the elder team, we have prayed, we have sought the Lord going back two, two and a half years maybe. Maybe. Uh, thinking about some of this stuff and asking the Lord for wisdom and timing and and now it's here and what I find is all that's bottled up and I have like four or five 30-minute segments to get it out in a cohesive manner that makes sense. And not to come at everybody like a fire hose, right? Just knock everybody over. So uh, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit of a struggle, but I I'm just so excited about what I believe God is is bringing us to do. And I'm excited about sharing it. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing for the next number of weeks. And quite honestly, and I want to be upfront about this, where this is going to lead is that first weekend in March, so one month from today, uh, we're going to be asking the church to to, to make pledges. And I realize that for some Christian circles, this idea of a pledge is a horrendous thing, right? It's like, uh, I don't know. I've never asked for one. I just know that that's been the case, and I just want to. I want you to know that's where we're going. Not, but here's what it is. It's it's not a commitment. It's not a promise. It's just by the grace of God, as we've prayed and we thought, it's what we believe God's asking us to do over and above our regular giving over the next three years. Right? All it does, we're not. It's not a point of. we're never going to hold anybody to that. All we're trying to do as leadership is to go. We want to make good, wise decisions moving forward, right? So, uh, so anyway, so just again, trying to. I'm a guy I like to put all my cards on the table. So that's what we're doing right now. My wife hates that analogy. I shouldn't have used that. Sorry. In church, okay. Uh, so, if you got your Bibles this morning, I want to start. I want to start with uh, what has been our church's life verse, at least for the 26 years that I've been here. It's in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. And again, I don't know if it had a life verse before that with the founding pastor. And I'm sure probably the the guy that follows me will have another one. But this has been it. We don't talk about it a lot, maybe about once a year. But When I was coming to Desert Springs, this was the verse that God gave me that I wanted to be at the heart of who we were and how we operated. Uh, And in case you don't have it, and for those of you uh, that are joining us online, I'll put it up for you. It says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to that power that works within us, of course, the Holy Spirit, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, maybe a little context would help you understand why that was so important to me. Because when if you don't know the story of Desert Springs, it was planted in 1983 in the far southwest valley. In the early 90s, they bought a building, uh, their, their first building over off of Bethany Home and about 71st Drive. Uh, the founding pastor then left. Another pastor came in. Best I could tell, wasn't a good fit. By the fall of 94, the church had had a little bit of a split, and they not only couldn't afford to call a pastor, they couldn't afford even to keep their mortgage payment. So they went to a sister church where I happened to be on staff. Uh, It was named Palmcroft. It's up on the north side of town. And you know, could we help them? So we went down and we, we did. We actually got them caught up on their mortgage and, and some of that. And I went to preach for them a number of times. Then this came, hey, would you guys just want to take us over? But they had this half million dollars debt. And Paul Gross said, well, thanks, but no thanks. But hey, we got even a better idea. We will send Steve. How does that sound for a good idea, right? And four or five families, and they'll come down. In fact, most people don't know this, but actually the first year I was a pastor, I was t- really, in, in, the, in a strict sense, I was bivocational. I was the executive pastor at Palmcroft Monday through Friday, and then I was down on the weekend. And i got to be honest with you. I, you know, I, I had planned to pastor most of my life, and this was about... Uh, as opposite of anything I'd planned to do, right? Uh, so th- for those of you that don't know, some of you go back to this with us. This will bring back memories. That was the original church building. As best as I can always describe it, I always just call it the uh, the old 70s A-frame. Any of you go to a church that looked like that, right? Very long, very narrow, very high-centered wall, right? And uh, and so that was that. We had 50 paid parking spots. As you can see, a little bit better from this, it was painted a beautiful battleship gray and just kind of blended into the thing. And, and uh, what was always so funny was uh, they encouraged some families to go down, just like we did with Salt Church, right? And then people came down and they kind of saw all the work that needed to be done and all the ministry that needed to take place. And if you ever read in in your Bibles in the Old Testament when, uh, you know, Goliath showed up and it says, two year 10, so Israel, right? <laughs> they left. Uh, there's a lot of people came down for one Sunday. We never saw them again, right? It was scary. And so it was for me, it was to understand that if God was going to do something it had to be abundant right I mean we we had my first Sunday there were 55 of us that's men women children couple stray dogs so just to give you a context if we took what we have in here today and and probably divided it by you know two-thirds out that's about where we were But we believe this is what God calling us to do. We said, God, you're the God who can do exceedingly abundantly. We started evangelism explosion training. That was our number one ministry. We started seeing people come to faith in Christ. fact, The first one we saw come to faith in Christ back in these days in 1995 was a young high school girl. Uh, she accepted the Lord, came into our youth group, went through SMI training, eventually went to Arizona Christian University, came out, went into ministry, ended up marrying a pastor. In fact, I ran into her husband at Sam's Club on Friday. And Still serving Jesus, you know, 26 years later. God did some really, really cool stuff. And I think then as you, you look at 26 years later, right, 26 years later, two moves, because we moved from there uh, to Litchfield Park, uh, eight miles, and then we moved a half mile down here. Uh, Three church plants. We planted Mission Church back in 2016. We planted La Paz Central down in Nicaragua in 2018. We just planted uh, Salt Church out in Waddell. By the way, have you heard how that's going? Oh man, they—I mean—they are kicking it. It's awesome, you know. uh, They—they've actually averaged past. You know, the launch Sunday is always a big bump because some of you went out to support them, and I appreciate that. But you know that they've actually averaged over 250 every Sunday. Last week, people—and only, you know, probably only about 100, 120 of us went. So the rest are from the community. They had. Ten kids last week in Sunday school asked Jesus to be their savior. Yeah. So isn't that cool? Uh, and, and, and honestly, uh, financially, they're already, you know, it's just God has been so good. And, and so you look at that. You look at when, when we started. So when we were there, when I first went, we had zero missionaries. We had no money. You know, right now we have, it's either 59 or 60 missionaries, mission agencies that we support uh, with a little over 11, almost 12% of our budget. This year we will give someplace between 330 and $350,000 this year to taking the gospel around the world, supporting people like Melissa and others that are taking the gospel in places that we can't go. I think you can say God has done abundantly. We've been able to train up young people who have gone in, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, Mark Spangler, who um, was one of our high school students back in those days, early on, one of the first SMIs, God gave us, uh, touched his heart about missions. He's now flying helicopters and, uh, and planes for jars uh, down, or uh, over in, um, just escaped me, uh, but overseas, Cameroon. And, uh, you know, man, God's done exceeding abundant. And so as we we look toward the future and what what God's going to do, I'm excited. But here's some of the things I need you to understand. The mission, though, the mission that we've always had in the 26 years is about making disciples. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. A church doesn't have to spend a lot of time looking for a mission statement. Why? Because Jesus kind of gave it to us, right? Go make disciples. That's the mission. Now you might want to spend some time on how you want to ex- exactly express it and all of that but that's the mission. Make disciples. So when we came, we came with a mission statement and we adopted it as a church. and It's technically still our mission statement. We don't put it out there quite as much anymore just because it's a it's a Little wordy and it's it's a, maybe a little dated, but it's at the heart of who we are. We exist to evangelize the lost. We want to be about the gospel, gospel focused, to establish believers in their faith. We we want to be Bible-centered and, and rooted in that. And then to equip and impassion people for ministry. There's actually one last phrase to this, and to do it all with excellence. Just to the best of our ability. That's what we believe God's called us to do. That's what it means to make disciples. Now, a few years ago, some of our younger people said, Steve, that's great. We love that. We believe that. But you're telling people when they come and they're guests what we're trying to do to them. You need, we need to express it in a way what we want them to do. And so maybe you've heard this. We just reworded it a little bit. We want you to engage with God, i.e., if you don't know him, we want you to come and know him. If you know him, we do want you to grow in that relationship. And oh, by the way, the best way to grow is to do it in community because that's where discipleship happens. Connect with others. And then we want you to go live it on mission. That's that that idea that God had put upon our heart. That's his mission, and that's what we— Now, I've got to be honest with you. We're not perfect in it. We weren't back then. We're certainly not today. We we continue to try to figure out how can we do this better? How can we develop? But that is the mission, to make disciples. And at the heart of that, as a church, we have always— believed in and practiced this idea of oikos. Now, I realize oikos is a yogurt. This has nothing to do with yogurt, right? We're not on a yogurt diet here. But oikos is a Greek term that means household. The idea is, is that everyone, Every single person in here has a tribe. You have a group of people you do life with, 8 to 15 to 20 to 25 people that God is strategically put into your life it can be family it can be friends it can be neighbors it can be business associates it can be those people you just see every day you know that barista that gives you your caffeine that hairdresser you know whoever in your life but God has strategically put you in their life and you are the number one tool that he has for their catalyst to either a come to faith in Jesus or b to help them grow in their relationship with the Lord it's a, it's a it's a biblical idea. And so the heart of what we believe God has called us to do is this idea that all of us are in a network of relationships. And that we need to love. So having said that, what you've got to understand is, and I want to be really cautious here because I don't, this is not a criticism. This is an observation. So please don't misconstrue. Because of that, we are not an attractional-minded church, i.e., we're not trying to kind of put on a nice, really well-done performance piece so that you can invite your unsaved friends so they come, I preach, you know, a salvation message every Sunday, and they get saved. A couple reasons. Number one, I'm not an evangelist by by gifting. That's not my, my talent. That's not what God has gifted me to do. Some guys it is. But secondly, we actually believe the better way, the more effective way, the way that God, the gospel is spread through all the, the, the years is through this idea of oikos. Do you know that 78% of everybody around the world who comes to faith in Christ comes primarily because of a relative or a friend in their life who lives Jesus and shares Jesus with them? I'd love to tell you it would be the church and the the church preaching, right? Statistically, only about 3% of people come to faith in Christ, primarily because they showed up at the church and through a program or an outreach that they came to faith. 78%. I mean, look at the Bible. The Bible's full of this oikos. You think of John the Baptist, the first one who knew who Jesus was, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So... Who does he tell? He tells one of his disciples, Andrew and John. Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter. They go get their friend Philip, who goes and gets his friend Nathaniel. It's just kind of how it worked. You see it in Acts, where Lydia comes to faith in Christ, and then her household. And then you see uh, the Philippian jailer, same thing. He and his household. This This is the way it works better. So what we see then is our job is to then equip and to mobilize the church, to train people how to share their faith, to talk about why it is so important that we live on mission. It's why we have a board over here. You know, who's your one? It's why we say live on mission every week. Why? Because that's how we're going to reach the West Valley. You have people in your life that I'm never going to meet. And to be honest with you, if they did meet me, they probably kind of wonder what's up with this guy, right? But they know you. They trust you. They've seen the quality of your life. You're the best tool God has to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has strategically put them in your life. And that's what God's called us to do. So as a church, what we are called to do, what I'm called to do, is to equip, to train to help you be able to see that vision that God is putting for you. But as a church, at a bigger picture, we also have an oikos, right? Because we live up here in northeast Goodyear. And we have a community around us that needs Jesus. Within five miles of our church today, there are over 185,000 people. They tell us statistically, seventy percent of those never ever go to a church. Now it doesn't mean they don't know the Lord, but you kind of think if they knew the Lord, maybe they'd show up to church some point, someplace. They tell us in the next ten years that one hundred eighty-five thousand is going to grow to two hundred thirty thousand. We have a community here where God has put us that needs Jesus. We need more laborers into the harvest. That's why we're so engaged just down the street here in Western Sky. We have people there on campus almost every day uh, during, well, actually, when they're having school. Uh, Same thing over here at Millennium High School. So why we send people over here to Goodyear Park to to look to share their faith. Why? Because we're a place in this community that we need to, to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ Honestly, it's this whole oikos thing that led us to start planting churches. You say, well, why? Well, we know, uh, you know, God brings people here from all over the place. We've had people from Surprise. Quite honestly, we had people from Waddell, S- Southwest Goodyear, Taliesin, Buckeye. And as you're, as you're living Jesus, sharing Jesus, one of the things you sometimes do is invite them to go to church. So why, you know, you're driving 8, 10 miles past all these other churches and we got thinking, we believe God's put us here. What, what if we could go plant some churches? So our first one went down in that Cotton and Yuma area. Then this next one to, to Waddell. I'm looking forward to Talison. I'm looking forward to Buckeye. I mean, those things are coming. Why? Because... We believe that you're God's best tool to reach the people in your neighborhood where you live with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now with all of that, it kind of brings us to this, where we're at now. Because one of the problems, and I've shared this from the very beginning, is that whenever a church becomes content, it's in trouble. I believe that with all my heart. When a church becomes content, it just switches over to the backside of its life cycle. It's been my biggest concern about planting churches, that this idea that, you know, we're going to send a, you know, we're kind of full, so we send 100 people out. That lets us kind of grow back to 100 folk. We got 185,000 people around us that we got we to reach. And here's the thing you got to understand about land and buildings and presence. We've all seen places where they become shrines, right? Haven't we all been in those beautiful, magnificent churches that everybody walks in and kind of takes their breath, and yet you show up on Sunday and there's nobody there? You travel overseas, you walk into all these beautiful buildings, but a, it's a building, it's a shrine. That's not... What a building, a church building should be. A church building is simply a tool. It's a tool to learn. So you go back to Glendale. We tried to use that tool as best we could to reach that community. We moved to Litchfield. We tried to use that tool and we reconfigured it. If you've been here, you can remember all the things we've done to this place just to make it as effective as possible in trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seriously. Nothing more than a tool, but an awesome tool to be able to have that awesome tool of presence in the community and a place to be able to to minister to folk. So I'm going to take you a little deeper into church stuff than you probably ever wanted to go, uh, but this is my world and I need you to understand this. When you look at buildings and you look at land, there are three things that can basically halt a church and its ability to reach community one is auditorium space now you all understand this but we, we we don't live it but I just want to remind you that if we had one service we all would not be here because we can't fit so it really in some ways is our biggest chokehold. but we get past that because we do multiple services which is really cool because uh, I love to preach, so it's it's good for me. Uh, the the second cap that you get on a, ch- a church community, especially when you're like us, you're reaching young families, is children's educational space. Truth of the matter is, we ran out of it two years ago. A- and if you remember kind of pre-COVID, we were actually starting to average over 1,600 people a week. What was interesting, we've always run about 20% of our Community numbers on a weekend is between nursery and fifth grade. It's about 18 to 20%. What's interesting, the last two years as we grew 200 people in numbers, that percentage went down. And the reason is we just don't have space. More kids actually coming into the service. The third thing, which again, you guys are always in the front end of, is the parking, Right? Aren't you glad you don't go to the 9, 13, and 11? Because you end up over in the and weekend like last weekend where it's rained, you can't do it. So when we started thinking about this, and one of the exciting things for us back even in 2007 when we brought this property, because we came from just a hair over three acres and was completely built out, was, man, we had 10 acres. And someday, what if God would allow us to kind of build it out, maximize it for the kingdom? So that was our big thing. We want to be able to balance the auditorium the educational space, and the parking. So, by the way, did you all get that little red book coming in? And for those of you that are online, it, there's a link there. You can download it so you can see it. Uh, and I, so I don't really want you to look at the lead book. I want you to listen to me, but I want you to be able to take that home, right? Uh, how do you say that nicely, right? Uh, so this, so we, we've divided the ultimate piece into three phases. Phase one is kind of the first thing you see is parking, right? The really cool piece is that we can nearly double the amount of parking that we have. So right now we have about 200, I think it's about 275 parking spots and this will take us up to between 515 and 525, something like in there, which is just awesome because we're about 100 short right now and then for the kind of the added piece uh, we got another 125 or so. Thank <laughs> you. You'll also notice, and uh, for those of you who are uh, online, uh, over kind of on the left side, there's a says playground relocated. You know, right now that's behind our existing building. It's hard to get to. They've actually got to walk out into that fire lane, which we all kind of use as traveling. And so our security, it's a big thing for them to be able to get them there and and back. So this is moving it so there's none of that that they've they've got to walk across and all also quite a bit bigger and then it's a nine nearly 9 thousand square feet bump out addition to the east side so you can kind of see on the left side there uh, excuse me the west side of the property so for us here it's, it's kind of out that way uh, what that would look like is and again if you look at the you see the auditorium you see the nursery and then you see there's a the wall and a hallway that's right there is where our building ends right now so this all is the bump out really nice piece is that it gives us more nursery space which then allows us to double the size of the bathrooms yes I know it's huge for those of you that try to get in and out in between services uh, and always kind of find a line there upstairs what it would do is that actually bump out would become a youth room do you know at 9.30, often on these mornings, uh, they're trying to put about 100 kids in what we've got right now. This would be about two and a half times bigger. Honestly, it also gives us a really nice other meeting space during the week uh, that is bigger, uh, can seat 150 or so. It also gives us a couple more adult classrooms. That's that's phase one. So it is the parking. It is all the infrastructure for both the the uh, drainage and all that for phase one, phase two and phase three. And then it's the nine thousand square foot bump out. The second phase then would be a future auditorium. You can see there to the left on your picture, you'll notice the existing pavilion. That really now becomes the center of the campus. That's the connecting point, which is already is working that way, but it's really awesome. The footprint of this building is about the same size as the footprint of the one that we're in. It's just this one story. And here's the thing about auditoriums, right? Everybody has different ideas. The biggest piece about this one you've got to understand is this is not a sanctuary, right? By the grace of God would be my hope we would never build a sanctuary. Sanctuary has uh, pews or has theater seating and it's really nice, quite honestly, Except that you can only use that space for one thing, and that's for church. You know this room that we're sitting in here right now is used every week, six days a week, and sometimes multiple times a day, right? It's being used for the cause of the gospel. It's a tool. That's what that would be. Same thing, flat floor. It's just that it's not built for basketball, which means we don't have parallel walls, which means we get better sound, I can't believe you all didn't respond to that (laughs) with all the emails that I get about the sound. All right, Lord, you've heard them. All right, I just want you to know. Sound, the ability to, uh, it it would seat about 230 to 250 more than what we have right now. I've heard some people go, well, you know, you say 185,000, so i 200 more. Well, again, think of the balance. But the other thing is you also think of the multiplication. Four services is a thousand people. It's a big capacity. Can I tell you the thing? Obviously, nice foyer. The thing that I like best, you see down kind of toward the bottom, it says conference, conference, C-O-N-F, with doors opening into the sanctuary. One of the most frustrating things about where we are now is that after service, people come up, God spoke into their heart, and we had no place to take them because every single room is used. Do you know that twice this last month after services, one was after the eight o'clock, one was after the 11 o'clock, or it's actually the 9.30, um, somebody's come up and said, listen, I just need you to pray for me. We got talking. Found out they don't know Jesus, got to lead them to the Lord. Right here, in the midst of all the noise, you all coming and going, right? You don't know what's happening, you're just loving on people. The band's got to practice, the choir's got to go through their thing. We have no place to take them that to me is is worth the price of admission for that just to have a place where we can go we can minister to people that would be that would be phase 2 phase 3 then ultimately is kind of coming back in here taking about 25% of this out to again get the balance right for both educational space so in the bottom you can kind of see that kindergarten room first grade room right there uh, And then the big thing is, is kitchen. Have you ever been in our kitchen? We had the world's smallest church kitchen. Did you know that? Guinness Book of World Records. You actually have to step out to change your mind. Uh, And uh, it, it would allow us to do that. So in a lot of ways, this becomes a fellowship hall. So, like when you have a wedding, you got a place for reception, you got a funeral, you have a place now for people to come and to congregate and to eat. Upstairs, what it would buy us is a boatload of adult, good sized, big adult classrooms. Those are all larger than like our 108 and 107. uh, so, so it's a really, really neat piece. I'm running out of time. I want to take you back to verse 21 here because everybody kind of gets caught up on the more abundantly and that's a big piece. But verse 21 is just as important. To him be glorying in the church. Why are we doing all this? Because we truly believe this is what glorifies the Lord. We need to reach more people. It gives us the tools to be able to do it. Quite honestly, we'll talk about this in coming weeks. It really gives us the tools to go plant more churches, to send more missionaries, to get the gospel out. And number two is that it shows God's glory because this is huge, right? We've done things. We've moved. We've had miracle offerings. We, we needed to raise $120,000, right, to go planted church in Nicaragua and God brought in 200,000. It was really cool. God received a lot of glory. This we really need a miracle because it's, it's huge. So in the midst of this, we got three goals three goals the number one is what i would call the abundant goal this would this would be awesome and it would be to do phase one so that is you know sometimes people say three million bucks and it's you know what nine thousand square feet yes but remember we're doing all the parking we're bringing in all the infrastructure for the future pieces those things are, you know it's kind of like the doing the electrical in your house nobody sees it but it's important right so getting all that done three million uh phase one and two which is what i kind of call the exceedingly abundant and to me would be really cool is the idea of being able to do the first two phases get the new uh, multi-purpose room built be able to have this capacity to continue to grow and to develop to, to be able to to use this ultimately though I just have to be honest. There's actually a bigger dream, and I want you guys to know what it is. And for me, it's what I call the God dream, and it's actually $12 million. You say, well, where'd you get that number? Well, right now, today, as we sit, we still have $4 million of debt, right? Now, that was huge before. Quite honestly, it's less than 15% of our budget income. We are set to pay it off in about 15 years. As I've been praying and thinking, I thought, wouldn't it be cool? And I don't know if God will do this in three years or six years or ten years, but I need you to understand ultimately what I'm praying is that God would allow us to not only build this and build it all debt-free, but the moment we do that, we're going to go after that debt, pay it off. I mean, you think we got right now about $400,000 in our budget that goes toward debt reduction. Can you imagine what we could do with that and helping some of our church plants get land, buy buildings, go into leases, get them to the next step, plant churches around the world. So, folk, here's what I got, you, I got to ask you to do, and this is what I'm asking you to do today, is would you pray? Would you pray? Would you pray together as a family? Would you begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what can we do? I mean, this is going to take sacrifice, this is going to take some heavy lifting. I know Tammy and I have been talking about this for over a year. And we've been planning. And this is far beyond anything that we have ever done over the next three years. And, and you know, the nice thing is we're kind of in a little different phase of life, right? And, and, and some of you are too. And, and maybe that's where God will lay upon our hearts. And, and what we need is to say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And how, because I don't want to get ahead of them. But I also don't want to lie behind them. The kingdom is far too important these days. Folks, I'm so excited for what I believe God is doing in our, in our culture. I, again, two people, just anecdotal. Guy last week, I don't even know why I'm here. I just know my life is broken and I need something. And it came to faith in Christ. I, I believe there's a lot of that that's going on in our culture. And I believe that God has just poised us for this moment. So I need you to pray. I need you to ask God, what can we do? And what would he ask us to do?